Hi guys, and welcome to the Fights Up Boxing Podcast. I'm Luke Hatch, as always, and well, yeah, fairly obvious two things to talk about, two cards. The main, the lead will be Devin Haney's controversial win over Lomachenko. Um, I will be going into that. I'll be talk- talking about Hunter Katani, who's on the undercard, uh, who is so fucking cool. And then I'm going to move on and talk about um, Katie Taylor versus Chantel Cameron and the upset win for Chantel Cameron there. Because um, that was a fun fight. Um, I didn't catch it live, but I've caught up on it. Um, so yeah, but obviously, first things first, Devin Haney versus Vasily Lomachenko. And look, right out of the gate, let's let's get this out of the way, the scoring. I scored it wide for Lomachenko, quite wide for Lomachenko, wider than most, I think I scored at A4. I should know this, so he had it live on uh, Bloody Elbow. But in any case, yeah, I had it wider than, wider than most for Lomachenko, including giving the final round to Loma, which most people didn't. Um, so, you know, maybe my scoreline wasn't great either, but um, my scorecard wasn't great either. But um, even while scoring, I was like, you know, this could, this is, so many of these rounds have been so tight, this could go the other way. Like, Lomachenko clearly won 10-11, but it could have gone the other way. And as far as I can see, nearly everyone who was scoring it in any kind of live way for, for the press, you know, for for um for websites, you know, um, Bad Left Hook, Scott Christ, and um, those guys there, and, uh, you know, every, every everyone I can see who was scoring it live was like, I've got Loma winning, but it could go the other way. And uh, that's, uh, you know, the press row seemed, everyone in press row that I've seen who talked about it said that, um, a lot of fans said that, a lot of professional fighters watching said that, um, and so when you see something like that, you know, everyone found it hard to score, it's hard to call it a robbery. And you can be suspicious that, uh, you know, everyone said it was hard to score, but we almost all scored it for Lomachenko. Not quite everyone, quite a few people scored it a draw or a win for, for Haney, but, um, uh, you know, narrowly, but uh, most people scored it for Lomachenko. And so the weight of opinion is against the judges, who all three unanimously scored it for Haney. But it's hard to call it a robbery when you know, even while scoring one way, we're all like, you could legitimately arrive at the other other score. Um, but I understand why people are upset, and especially with that uh, one card from Dave Moretti, where, um, you know, one on six, one on two, whatever it was, um, seemed really wide. You'd have to really be reaching to reach that, and uh, he was really reaching because he gave Devin Haney the tenth, and that is an absurd score like that is just not legitimate you can't, there's no way you can watch the 10th round and give that to uh, to Devin Haney so so Moretti fucked up there and the other thing is uh, Lomachenko ultimately cost himself the draw because like I say all three judges gave the round to the final round to Haney um, as did most observers I think you know I've seen two of the only ones who didn't and uh he said afterwards he took that off on purpose because he thought he was 11 rounds up and um, and he decided to coast to keep it safe. And if he'd have won that round convincingly, he would have come away with the majority draw. Moretti's card was beyond him by then, but the other two judges, if he'd have won that card that round, he would have come, come away with the draw. Um, with the majority draw, a draw in the cards, which, you know, wouldn't have been a win that he so desired. He wouldn't have come away with the belts, but it would have given much more reasons for Haney to rematch him, given him far more leverage and left that third loss off his record. So he must be, that must sting, that must sting. It was a bad decision by him. Doesn't, uh, doesn't, um, you know, help 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't um, forgive the scoring if you think the scoring was wrong, but um, but nonetheless. Um, anyway, all that aside, it was a fantastic fight. It was one of the best back and forth technical battles you'll see. And I think we all agreed, not you know not everyone, I don't speak for everyone, but most people coming out of agreed that um, Lomachenko was clearly the better technical fighter, but at the same time, Devin Haney showed an intelligence that we weren't quite sure he had, an ability to adjust that we weren't quite, you know, it was possible he had it in there, but we weren't sure. An ability to adapt around tools he didn't have or things that got taken away that um, that just hadn't been tested in him, this ability to adjust. And he definitely showed technical flaws, for sure. Um, but he was able to use his size in an intelligent way as well as, you know, other just technical skills um, to gain, you know, what may well have been a legitimate advantage. And even if you think he lost, uh, it was a tough, tight loss where he was in it all the time. You know, this was no Usyk versus uh, Joshua situation. This was, a uh, you know, fully competitive all the way through. As always, nowadays when I'm talking about these fight, these big fights, I did write about this uh, post-fight for Bloody Ombo, so you can check my article out there if you haven't. Um, but in any case, you know, let's begin. It's a bit difficult to talk about this one. I found this right in my article. It's a little tricky to talk about this one because um, normally I can just sort of narrate the story of the fight and go, oh yeah, this happened and then this happened and these were the details. But there was kind of things were winding in and out and happening and then, you know, they were being stopped and then happening again. It's it's not quite easy to know where to start. Um, but when I wrote the thing, I started over the jabs. So I'm going to start with the jabs here. And the thing was, I expected Devin Haney's jab to be key. And I expected if Devin Haney didn't get his jab working, that he wouldn't stand a chance. And I think a lot of people agreed with that, really. Because, uh, you know, Lomachenko was, is much better in close than him and was supposed to be much better than clo- in close than him. And we figured that if the jab didn't come into play, he'd just be spending too much time being, uh, you know, having to nullify rather than score in close. Um, and as it turned out, Lomachenko nullified his jab pretty much immediately. Like Haney lands, he uses his jab a lot normally, and I think, um, oh man, I can't even remember the numbers now, but I checked the numbers. He threw about a quarter of what he normally does for his jab, and he landed maybe maximum two around. You know, sometimes he didn't land any, uh, sometimes he landed one. Um, Lomachenko is just coming in under it. The jab is just completely ineffective. Lomachenko is punching around it, coming in under it. If you try to do tricky things with it, um, Lomachenko would, you know, just move around it, basically. It was too, it was too obvious a punch. It wasn't working together, you know, with his movement and all of that. Like, he wasn't, you know, you don't normally need to disguise your jab, but, um, but it was just too obvious for Lomachenko and he was just, yeah, he just nullified it straight away. And if it was helping anyone, it was helping Lomachenko, you know. Um, I talk, uh, I've talked before about Canelo being really good at working off other people's jabs, but Lomachenko displayed a perfect, uh, perfect example of a smaller man working off a tall man's jab, uh, working off the opponent's jab. And uh, and Haney had to deal with that. And um, and he did really well, which I'll get onto in a second. I just do want to mention that Lomachenko's jab was much better. He scored with it a fair bit. Um, you know, um, there was moments later on in the fight where he stepped in with his jab and caught uh, Haney square. Um, Haney had a real problem with the head movement in this matchup, which again I'll get onto in a second. Lomachenko uses the jab to take advantage of that, so he scored with it quite a lot. 
but he also just used it tactically. Like he closed range behind his own jab as well as behind Haney's jab very, very well. So yeah, Lomachenko just won the jab battle, like straight up, no, no uh, messing around. Lomachenko had the jab battle straight away, and you would have thought that would be the death knell for Haney, but it wasn't. And um, the reason it wasn't. This is one one place where I give him real, real credit, where I give Haney real credit, is he needed another way to make space. He needed another space-making punch, basically. And he had this body shot in his locker. Now, he'd clearly been prepping this straight right to the body. And he used it as a scoring shot and a shot to drain Lomachenko's energy, slow down, which didn't work that much, but may have done come in in the final round. Um, and he used it kind of as an intercept as well, like... Um, when he threw the jab, uh, Lomachenko, he knew Lomachenko was coming behind it and uh, he'd throw a couple of things, a left hook and that right straight right. Um, but the main thing he ended up using it for, um, yeah, he scored a lot with it, but he it became essentially a sort of replacement jab, a sort of quasi-jab. Uh, when he threw that, that was when he got the space. That was when he was able to force Lomachenko onto the back foot when he wanted him to. It's, uh, when he, it was that punch that he cleared himself space. Um, and when he did work, do other work which he didn't do that much like he was working single uh, single punches a lot of the time singles and doubles but um but you know occasionally he'd throw the right hand and work something else off it um yeah it was just a really good adjustment um to to losing his jab to find something else to do the job it wasn't the only thing and this is something i highlighted on twitter and in my article and generally been talking about um is is that um he had to stop Lomachenko circling around, especially to his uh, Haney's left, Lomachenko going um, right. Because this was a southpaw versus orthodox matchup. It's an open stance. Loma was a southpaw, and Haney is the orthodox fighter, obviously. And, um, you know, uh, the way Lomachenko moves is uh, if he can get around the lead hand of an orthodox opponent, he is loving it he has so much room to work he he has so much time and my thought would be that the only way Haney would be able to stop doing that was by clinching up and hugging and Haney's not you know he's not a great fighter in the clinch he's a decent spoiler but not a great fighter so even if he stifled Lomachenko that way he wouldn't be scoring and that was my thinking you know that would be the only real way he could stop moving um moving around that way and uh and Haney found another way. Um, yeah, because the normal the normal way to stop someone doing that is um, hooks and things coming from that side. Like looping shots coming from with your left hand stops the half ball circling around to your left. But um, against Lomachenko, you can't um, you can't rely on a lead hook on a left hook um, to stop him circling around your left because the hook was, the hook landed for him a few times. It was a scoring blow for Haney, but. Um, but it was reliant on surprise. If he'd have thrown it every time, then Lomachenko, you know, it'd be like uh, Garcia versus Tank. It'd be just way too easy. And obviously Lomachenko moves way better than Tank. Um, you know, with all due respect to Tank, Lomachenko is a much better, you know, close-range circler. Um, so he couldn't just throw the left hook, uh, you know, even if he had gone to the body with it more. Um, so he had to find something else. And what he did was basically um, just stick his shoulder and his arm in the way. And this is something I really appreciated in part because some of you may remember um, in my previews of Usyk versus Joshua 2, um, there was this whole argument going on constantly about a lot of people suggesting that Lomachenko, that, uh, that Joshua had to go brawler and, you know, warrior and really try to bully. And I was like, that's not going to work. What he should be doing is he's using his um, size and physique 
smart ways to stick just stick stick parts out stick stick his lead leg in the way or stick his arm something in the way to stop Usyk circling and if you weren't sure what I was talking about then this was what I meant this was exactly what I had in mind um, so it was really nice to see you know my thinking be um but yeah I wasn't making up the idea <laughs> you know sometimes I still get insecure um yeah no I wasn't making up the idea it was lovely to see like a really high level boxer just visual, doing something that I thought would be a good idea. Um, what he was doing was uh, sticking his shoulder in the way, basically. Sticking his shoulder out, or his elbow out a little bit. Um, when Lomachenko tried to circle, he'd just find an arm in the way, and a shoulder in the way. Um, this was utilizing a flaw in Lomachenko's movement, which is, you know, um, a bit of net for me to say. But um, if Lomachenko has a flaw in his movement, it's this. He is great at circling around a close range. But um, he is not as good as... He can get there eventually, but he is not as good as if he has to circle at distance. Like, if he has to make the angle before he makes the approach, he's just not quite as good. Um, which, you know, fair, fair enough. I wouldn't say it's harder, but um, because, you know, less box, more boxes circle at range than Lomachenko does. But it's more... You know, you have to cover a greater distance. And, you know, for Lomachenko, since he can circle in close so well and keep himself safe, um, just doesn't really add that to his uh, toolbox, the, uh, you know, making space for himself outrage. And um, and Haney took advantage of it. Um, Teofimo Lopez took advantage of this just by intercepting him as he tried to, you know, as he did try to circle, you know, make angles at range and step in, um, Teo intercepted him. Um, what Haney did was wait for him to get close and then stick a shoulder out. Um, and Lomachenko just didn't have a way to go because he wasn't, he isn't used to having to circle. You know, he wouldn't have had to go far to circle around, Haney, to circle around Haney's shoulder and elbow. You know, he, this, this was really tight, close range stuff, but he just didn't really have it in him. You know, he, he didn't. And, uh, and that was really nice. That was just a really nice bit of, um, improv. I'm not sure if it was improvisation. I'm, he must have planned it. It was really nice to see. Um, it did have its downsides, and we're going to start talking about Lomachenko's upsides now. Um, it had its downsides in that uh, it exacerbated a problem, and the biggest problem for Haney for me was his, uh, and this was highlighted by the commentators during the fight, um, he kept his head on centre line. And having seen this fight and looking back at previous fights, this has always kind of been true. Um, Haney's always kept his head fairly central what even while defending and um and all of that but he's always covered for it with good you know his footwork isn't the best but he's always been able to maintain range use his tab and also just to draw back make opponents fall short and then punish him for it but his opponents previous like cambosos um linares and uh and jojo diaz the only one of those who closes range particularly fast is Lenara's and he doesn't really by leaping in um, the other two are quite stompy fighters Lomachenko obviously is not a stompy fighter and even when he's coming at you in a relatively straight line he is um, closing range very fast and so Haney was finding Lomachenko getting to his head before he could draw back um, you know and finding his head open and then Lomachenko thus focused on the head and so there's a huge discrepancy in body shots because Haney's main target was the body and Lomachenko was like I don't need to go to the body you're showing me your head like you're you're leaving your head open for me um, so there's this huge you know massive difference between what they were doing and that 
became a problem for Haney because um, initially it was just scoring, like he was just uh, Lomachenko was just tagging him. But as the fight went on, um, and as that circling, that like, was almost a blessing in disguise. Um, as the circling became unavailable to Lomachenko, um, he decided, um, okay, I'm you know I'm going to um, just push forward and try to push you back. And because the head was straight up, it would go kind of straight back. You know, as he was getting tagged, then Lomachenko didn't back off. Um, Haney would kind of lean back, and then he'd stumble and be out of shape. And then Lomachenko would clip him, and he'd stumble even more. And it was just this became this vicious circle of Haney, um, you know, trying to avoid the headshots without um, without getting. Well, he wasn't able to avoid getting off balance, and um, and then the shot, you know, the next shots would make him off balance even more. Um, I think it's worth saying that um, Haney he may have been flustered here because normally his approach when he does need to sort of duck and slip he does the one 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 slip and duck and then he grabs hold um, but Lomachenko was just headlocking him and spinning around and headlocking him whenever he did that and Haney didn't like it so he stopped trying to slip the thing is Lomachenko headlocking Haney is clearly not a scoring move. There was no actual tactical disadvantage to Haney to being headlocked by Lomachenko. He just didn't like it. And it's the thing is, uh, yeah, it would have been a tactical disadvantage if Haney had been trying to do things other than, you know, other than just stop the exchange right there. But he wasn't. He Haney was trying to hold. So for him, um, letting... Hey, letting Lomachenko headlock him had exactly the same effect as if he'd been the one grabbing hold, and um, and thus I, you know, as I think on this, it's more and more that was a quite a big tackle error by Haney to stop doing that. That he really should have been um, just letting Lomachenko hold his head, and maybe he'd have been docked points for it eventually. So, so that was a whoopsie. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and um, that you did you did start to see this is a thing uh, again. Sometimes I get a bit insecure. I've been talking for ages about Haney having this just little hitch in his movement. Uh, if you've heard this podcast before, if you've seen me talking about Haney before, really, um, you know what I'm, I'm saying is um, his head and his feet aren't quite connected the way they should be, and that takes away from his power. Which, to be fair, in this fight, it didn't really. Um, most of the scoring shots were straight shots, which where it was a lot less of a problem, and he was he was genuinely putting power through the straight right hand. You know, not knockout power, but enough stiff power to um, to um, discomfort Lomachenko. And when he was landing hooks, um, they were essentially intercepting hooks. So um, he wasn't really trying to knock Lomachenko out of them. He wasn't doing the thing where he overbalances, um, which I didn't expect him to. I think he's too smart for that. Um, so um, so it didn't show up in his attack so much. But defensively, that hitch between his head and his feet did show up. Um, and yeah, once Lomachenko started making him move his, you know, try to try to get his head out of the way, um, his feet just didn't follow. Like he just didn't have his feet under control and he'd end up sort of stumbling around the ring. This was really only in 10th and 11th rounds, um, yeah, but he'd kind of end up stumbling around the ring and Lomachenko would... Um, We'd, yeah, we'd just use it against him. And generally, generally by the 10th and 11th round, um, he was really struggling with Lomachenko's physicality, which is ironic because we all thought, uh, you know, Haney is the bigger, physical, more physical guy. And I will say credit to Haney. Um, we have seen, and I keep bringing up Usyk versus Joshua because, you know, Usyk is in some way similar to Lomachenko, not completely. Um, but, um, you know, um, 
those guys, as Usyk and Loma, are so well scored in the positioning to physically manhandle their guys, even if they're bigger. That, um, it takes a lot to win that battle, even if you're bigger. And Haney, you know, did was losing it by the end, but early on he was fine, and um, he was fine because he knows how to position himself and um, and um, and push about on his own terms. And Lomachenko really did have to work hard. He did really have to take him out of position with punches before he could start manhandling him, essentially. Um, so that was good for Haney. But yeah, his footwork is... There were just little details where he misses, where he just gets the balance wrong. It's not not even like he makes a wrong step. He knows what he's doing. He just gets the coordination slightly wrong, which I can sympathise with. I'm dyspraxic, so my coordination is always wrong. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, just little details. Like He has the full toolbox of things that he can't do, and he has the full... Like he knows what he should be doing a lot of the time. But he, there's just something off. There's just... I think I said the last time I talked about Haney, but um, there's like a line of balance that goes down the centre of a boxer, uh, you know, where um, where they're you know the leading of the shots and whatever, and it goes from the head to the feet, um, roughly down the centre line. But it's usually a bit twisted because you know the the way you stand to absorb the most shots and the most angles, it's a bit twisted in the way a bo- in a boxer's stance. And Haney has that line, but. My feeling is that it's broken somewhere in the waist area. Like there's something not quite lined up in the waist area when he's picking his stance, and it leads him to be moving not quite connected. You know, I'm being a bit pretentious with my argument here, but um, but I've always felt it's true, and I always, and I thought in this fight, Lomachenko found it. You know, and I thought he would find it. I did kind of expect that if he did find it, he'd find it more spectacularly and not really to give a Haney the runaround, but he had, like I say, he hadn't really started doing that in 10th and 11th, and then he coasted in the 12th and cost himself, yeah, anyway, um, there are tons of details you could pick out about this, and people who are better at picking out details already are, um, most people listening to this probably already follow Miguel Class on Twitter, um, apologies if, I, if that should be Class, but um, anyway, um, most of you probably do, but if you don't, follow him at Class on Twitter, um, he uh, has done one post um, where he... It's a little video where he highlights one combination from Lomachenko, a lovely little combination where he fakes his way in. I'm not going to, you know, do his work. Uh, he, go and see the video. But um, but he highlights, you know, Lomachenko's fainting, um, which I haven't really talked about. Um, I will say that Haney did a pretty good job of not biting on the feints, but, you know, in this highlight you saw, you did see him biting on the feint, and, you know... You're fighting Lomachenko, sometimes you're always going to bite on a feint. Like, you're never going to go the whole fight not biting on a feint. I think Haney did a good job keeping cool and under pressure. But in any case, um, there is one detail I do want to pick out from from that, like borrow, borrow the analysis, um, where he highlights that Lomachenko takes the inside line. This is an open stance match, I remember. He takes the inside angle, puts his foot inside Haney, um, does a bit of work, and then puts his foot outside and snips out. And that's what I, w- I wanted to talk about that briefly, because... Um, as you may know, I am a big, I really dislike the received wisdom that you always have to look for the outside angle. Um, and we saw this conversation after Garcia versus, um, Garcia versus Tank, where uh, everyone was like, oh, why wasn't Garcia bothering to take that outside angle? And yeah, yes, he should have been doing more with his feet and looking for more positional advantages more often. But, um, 
but there are reasons to take the inside angle, even if it's only temporary. Um, there are way, things you can do from the inside angle, and this was a combination where uh, he took the inside angle to force Haney back, and then stepped outside him to take advantage. And that is the thing that I really... It is a really good thing uh, to do with, with when you take the inside angle in an F-stance matchup. When you put your foot inside the opponent, you can force them to break their stance. You push them out of position. Like they... Especially if you get low, which Lomachenko has to, um, because he's smaller in this matchup, um, they have to stand up straighter than they would, or move back, or do something to avoid. You know, you've broken their centre line, and Lomachenko used that to push Haney out of position, so even take even more advantage of this. Um, you know, small disconnect in his movements. I talk about um, make him recover, and then take the outside angle, slip outside, and punish him. Um, and that was just a lovely little. He did that more than once in the fight, you know. And this is the thing, like, you don't always, always have to take the inside angle, outside angle. You can take the inside angle, it's fine, I promise. Um, you don't want to be doing it all the time, because that's predictable too. But um, but there are advantages to it, basically, is what I'm saying. And Lomachenko showed some of them, and I really like it. Um, yeah, I have been talking for nearly half an hour now. I am going to start winding down um, on this. There is lots more to talk about. Um, but yeah, great fight. We're going to be going, coming back to this one. You know, as a tactical nerd, we could come back to this for years. Um, yeah, and Haney, I've, I don't know. I've seen people come out of this fight going, oh, Shakur, yeah, I do believe Shakur Stevenson beats Devin Haney. Um, he's just too clean and too good. Um, I've seen people say he tank washes him. That's, you know, Lomachenko beats Garcia. 12 rounds to nil. He, he washes him unless he gets knocked out. Um, he whitewashes him. So, you know, you know, as much as, yes, I do want to give Garcia a, a tank credit, sorry, for being better than I have said in the past. He is. But, um, but it's too soon to say that just because Tank beat Garcia and Haney, mm, some people believe lost to Lomachenko, um, that Garcia, that Tank, uh, beats um, Haney straight up. Like He's a much bigger guy and he does more things. He doesn't make mistakes that, yes, if he makes those mistakes against Garcia and gets caught on the chin, um, he'll probably get knocked out. But um, but he has the tools to to really bother, really bother um, um, Javonta Davis. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's that. Um, this is also the division which Andy Cruz is coming into, and I would love to see uh, Haney fight Andy Cruz's second fight, or Andy Cruz fight Haney's second fight. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But, um, but you know, imagine the look on Lomachenko's face, and imagine the look on Keishon Davis's face. But he will be a challenger for, for these guys. In any case, I am now going to move on. Um, on to Junto Nakatani, or Junto Nakatani. I am not 100% sure how the, you know, the, the commentators pronounce it Junto. Um, I kind of assume it's one of those where you're picking the best option um, from a sound that we don't really use in English, but I don't speak Japanese well enough to know. Um, I've always been called a Punto Nakatani, but, you know, Shinto. Um, I apologise if that's hugely wrong or I'm swearing by accident. Just, uh, you know, not sure. But anyway, um, he is one of my favourite upcoming fighters, and he really proved why. He was fighting Andrew Maloney. Maloney, you know, he was always supposed to beat Maloney. He wasn't he didn't pick Maloney out of the bag to, um, to, you know, win a title. I think this was mandatory. And in the case, Maloney is one of the best, um, 
available fighters to fight for it. Um, this was the WB... Was it WBA? I'll check. WBO. This is WBO, which um, Nakatani held in flyweight, and now he's a super flyweight champion. And I think this was mandatory. Well, mandatory. The WBO ordered this um, for a vacant title. Um, and yeah, Maloney is a tricky fighter. He's kind of borderline world level, but he fought Joshua Franco. Um, he lost both. Well, he, they fought three times. Two of them were competitive. Uh, the first one slightly more than the second. And the middle one was a no contest. But all of them were scrapped. Like, he fought with Joshua Franco, who's now a world champion. Um, he fought competitively with him. And he got completely and utterly fucked up by Hunter Nakatani. Um, he got dropped three times. Well, twice uh, before the knockout in completely different ways. Got beaten up for 12 rounds, essentially. And then got knocked out with one of the most violent knockouts you will ever see and Nakatani just looked really 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 good um, I will say to begin with uh, the last time he fought when he fought um, Francisco Rodriguez as his entry to this weight um, I was concerned and so was Taylor O'Higgins who you know I talk, talk about boxing a fair bit with and we were both concerned that he needed to be better on the inside uh, if he's going to be at this weight and in this fight he looked much better and that partly may be Maloney um, not being as slip, well not slip, but skilled inside as Franco, but um, Nakatani generally looked more way more focused on his defence in close um, at range was the problem if he had one with his defence he he looked a bit more coasting on his length, he's a big guy for this weight um, but yeah, he looked really really neat in close so he looks really, um, he's always good defensively in close um, he looked really neat and close. He looked, you know, fantastic at range. Uh, the thing that I always say about Nakatani, like we, we, me and Taylor are both, were both impressed with this the first time we saw him, and it's proved true always. His lead hand is so good, so varied. He has a great jab, um, and he has, you know, no trouble with varying up um, different things. And he hooks off the jab, and he does just all sorts of things with that lead hand. And it's to the point where I sometimes suspect that he is a, he is actually... Um, handed because he fights out southbourne but he's so dexterous with his lead hand that i do sometimes suspect that he's actually a right hander converted which makes sense um you know that he wouldn't be the only one who's done that um in any case yeah he's fantastically controlling the range and then he lets maloney come to him and tags him as he moves intercepts him as he moves he has such a variety of punches um you know a lot of fighters who of this sort you know the kind of um you're a rangy fighter, you want your opponent to come in and then punish them either as they do or as they exit. And most of these guys have one or two shots that are their money punch. Um, you know, um, Callum Smith having the, uh, the lovely lead left hook, um, with his, uh, um, you know, as his opponent exits usually. Um, and there are, you know, fighters all through the sport and some of them have more than others and some of them have, you know, one really, one they're really good at and looking for, but then they'll do other things, you know. Brian Garcia has to be the, the straight right or the uh, the big left. Um, Hunter Nakatani can throw so many things. He has this lovely little... He's really good at throwing uppercuts at really close range for a guy that long. Um, he has he has hooks, he has straights with both hands. <laughs> All three knockdowns were completely different. And I think this kind of highlights how varied and creative a puncher he is. If we talk about you know the two... The two knockdowns in the second round and the eleventh, and then the knockout, um, kind of really highlights uh, how how big his toolbox is. Um, just the first, just the first knockdown in the second round. Um, he's on the back foot. Um, he loves to make his opponent his opponents come to him, and he's on the back foot, uh, letting Maloney kind of lean into him, and he throws an uppercut with his um, left hand, his power hand. He throws two uppercuts, 
to um to pop basically to pop Maloney's head up. And he comes over the top with the same hand. He's throwing a three punch combination with one hand, which is really tricky. It's way harder to do than you know just describing it. Yeah, sure, but um, doing that without your opponent punishing you for it is really hard. He shifts, which is a thing I should mention. Um, and it's that, this is you, you see boxers shifting on the front foot all the time. He shifts on the back foot, um, and so he's suddenly his um, his left hand is his uh, lead hand. He comes over the top with this um, sort of it's a hook coming over the top, coming down, clubs Maloney the other way, shifts back into his um, southpaw stance, um, all the while sliding smoothly backwards. Um, and suddenly he's, you know, Maloney's trying to recover his balance, but suddenly uh, Nakatani is back, you know, back orthodox, uh, back southpaw, which Maloney was not adjusting to. He was adjusting to the orthodox stance. And clicks, clips him with a right, that drops him on his ass. Um just a lovely, just lovely creative, you know, he changed the angle like three or four times, you know, the two uppercuts were slightly different, um, the, the second one up to the angle for the overhand, which he, again, he, uh, he shifted into to, um, to change the angle, um, to give himself like a better range and power on it. And then he shifted back. It was, it was a lovely piece of work. Second one was much simpler. It was a pretty simple one to, um, <laughs> That caught uh, Malone napping a bit. He stepped on the front foot. He used his jab. Um, he he did the kind of, you know he did the sticky jab thing, and then he stuck another sort of double jab out and just stepped in behind it with a with the left hand. And um, but he judged the timing perfectly. Maloney was trying to step back. You know, um, Nakatani got on the front foot for this one. Uh, Maloney was trying to step back, and he just got caught on the edge of a you know in mid step, um, bang on the chin. And it wasn't like it was hurtful. It wasn't like a that dazing blow or anything. He was just off balance, but it was a lovely timing by Nakatani to drop him on his ass. And then the um the knockout came. Uh, Maloney's corner had told him, you know, um, if you take too much damage, we're gonna take get you out of there. And um, kind of you know, I've seen people say, yeah, just take him out. Um yeah, I mean they probably should have taken him out just on on the fact that um he was getting really beaten up. Um could just say that to G their G their fighter up um they don't, they're not necessarily actually thinking about that uh, but in this instance they're going to feel bad because um, 20 seconds from the end um, Nakatani just completely lured him onto something um, he uh, again utilising the sticky jab um, and this time he's he's on the back foot and he sticks out a jab and just kind of leaves it Maloney's face and as he's doing that he drops down to his own right Maloney's left well he, he drops down into a crouch and then he slips left uh Slips right and really loads up on the left hand. Um, just fully talks into it, and he's dipped enough to his own right that he's able to get past Maloney with his head. Like he's stepping past Maloney as he throws his punch. Maloney's trying to get to his chest, you know, to get onto Nakatani's chest, um, to because that's a safe zone for him. And uh, Nakatani just took full advantage and just just fully loaded on um, the uppercut. Uh, the uppercut, the hook was. I mean, I don't even know what to call it. It was one of those punches where the punch is above Nakatani. Like Nakatani slipped down and he's bringing the punch like sort of above him, um, arcing downwards, um, just really flush in Maloney's face. It's, if you see a stronger knockout this year, it would be lucky. Um, it was concerning at first, but um, he's fine. Uh, it was lovely, and but just throughout the fight, these creative combinations, like, and this is the thing. Um, I saw someone comment. Um, he didn't try that or any variation on that last knockout punch at any time during the fight. He had just had that in his pocket and he just sat on it. Um, 
yeah, he's 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 so good. Um, he, his defense will be tested more, um, but there is no fighter who's going to be comfortable trying to take shots from Nakatani. He's so ridiculously accurate and creative with his shots. Um, yeah, um, I, I'll rave about him every time I see him. He's he's so good. Um, if you haven't seen him fight before, um, check this fight out. It's a fantastic performance. Um, he's a fantastic fighter. He's twenty five. Um, he's got a future ahead of him. Um, yeah, that's. What I really want to talk about from that fight, from that card, um, Raymond Murat Harab beat um, Jeremiah Nakathira. He kind of blew him out in two and then called out the winner of the main event. That's, that's optimistic, mate. You have to win, work your way up a bit further before you do that. Um, and yeah, Oscar Valdez came back. Um, I wasn't super impressed with his performance. He did what he had to do against Dado Lopez. Um, I wasn't super impressed in terms of thinking, you know, how he'll do moving forward in this division. Um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great, but it wasn't that terrible either. It wasn't like a oh no, what's happening? It's just uh, you know, if he's gonna fight another Rete next, eh, we'll see, we'll see. No, but yeah, I'm not gonna really get into those. Um, yeah, the other main event is a uh, is um, Katie Taylor versus Chantel Cameron. Um, Chantel Cameron, not really a late replacement, but a replacement for uh, Amanda Serrano, who was meant to be fighting Katie Taylor at her homecoming in Dublin. Um, Serrano had to put out, so instead Katie Taylor stepped up to fight Chantel Cameron for all her belts and uh, lost. And um, yeah, uh, easy enough to say physicality won this one. Um, clearly, Chantel Cameron won by utilizing being bigger. Um, but she boxed really smartly and brawling at the same time um, and took advantage of certain issues Katie Taylor has one of them is being small one of them is being a little bold um, but um, yeah the thing is one first thing to note that, um, first of all is um, Katie Taylor is clearly faster than Chantel Cameron and I expected that to be the big difference in the fight but Cameron mitigated that not just by using her well she did use her size but she just fought directly to the point. It's constantly making Taylor adjust and making Taylor be the one reacting and taking the initiative. Like she didn't give Taylor a moment's thought, and that just mitigated a lot of the um, a lot of the speed difference. And um, she dominated the Jijab battle. And like Katie Taylor, she jabs fine. There are times when she kind of doesn't bother. Um, um, you know, she kind of used it like, doesn't always utilize it as well as she, not as much, you know, she's always won her fights. Um, but um, it doesn't usually become a crippling problem for her. She's able to either take over with the jab when she needs to or work around it. In this fight, um, Chantel Cameron absolutely dominated the jab. Her jab was brilliant. Um, you know, it was a solid ramrod jab, but uh, sometimes when you see someone with a solid ramrod uh, fighting a real technician, they get, you know, spun around and worked around. But um, but she timed it so well. Um, every time she threw it, she pushed. Uh, it was that thing I talked about before, um, breaking stance uh, with certain movements. Um, every time she threw her jab, it wasn't just unnecessarily landing. It was her pushing into um, Katie Taylor's space. So Katie Taylor had to get out of the way to keep her stance proper, which she wasn't really able to do. And then, you know, and then um, Cameron would follow up with the body shots that she worked the body really well. And Taylor was just unable to keep her boxing stance straight um, enough to to get herself going. Like, she was in the fight the whole time. This wasn't like a one-sided dominant beating or anything. And Taylor, you know, she's her timing is fantastic like once they 
got rolling. Um, she was able to punch between um, Cameron's shots, not consistently, but reasonably often, and um, her accuracy is lovely. But um, Cameron just made sure to always be in a space, always be making Taylor be recovering position. Even if she hadn't hit her, which she did a lot, um, she was always making Taylor be recovering, always be refining space, refining range. Don't let Taylor take the initiative at all. I expected uh, Cameron's advantage to be baiting Taylor in and trying to take advantage of her being off balance when she did that, but she did the opposite. She just pushed forward. She just used her size, but smartly, um, bullied Katie Taylor as much as she could um, and always try to have the, both the first and the last word in an exchange which um, makes it really hard for an opponent um, and it, but this wasn't always the case especially like Taylor would sometimes especially when the exchanges are short Taylor would get away throwing the last word um, but like, almost every time in the fight um, Chantel Cameron made sure to have the last word in an exchange and that just you know it's good scoring tactic if you have a first and word last word um your opponent really has to have beating you clean in the middle to come away with the judges going, oh, you know, you won that exchange. And yeah, Chantel Cameron just did. She said after the fight herself that um, Taylor's a better boxer than her, so she had to just outfight her. And But that is kind of doing herself a disservice because she didn't just, you know, she wasn't brawling. She was, you know, yeah, she was kind of being, um, she was being physical about it, but she wasn't being crude, um, you know. She has a more limited tool set than Katie Taylor, clear, but um, but she took Katie Taylor's tool set ahead of her. She wasn't just trying to club her out there. She took Katie Taylor's tool set away. Um, and this is this is the thing about Taylor is she's a fantastic boxer. She's you know always been one of the best boxers in the women's game, but she's always had that issue where she can get out of stance while she's moving. And um, in this instance, it was while she was moving backwards. Um, and she was just, you know, she wasn't able to circle as comfortably as she wanted. She wasn't able to slip and duck as comfortably as she wanted. Um, she just found herself, her defensive tools taken away. And some of the time, her power, like, the attack was always there for Taylor. But she couldn't always get it going the way she wanted because she was off balance. She was off our position. And that's how Chantel Cameron won. Um, it was a really good performance. And there's going to be a rematch, uh, which way it's at. You know, they both still hold all the belts in their respective divisions um, because uh, Katie Taylor jumped up for this one. Um, she keeps her belts in the, in the division below. Um, Cameron wants to go down to fight her. Um, I don't know what Taylor wants to do. We may end up with that weird before Canelo situation where before was demanding that uh, Canelo weight drain him and uh, Canelo's going, no, I want to fight you in your division. Um, that might happen, but the rematch will happen. Katie Taylor wants this one, not bad. And she has the rematch clause. So, um, so it will happen. It will almost certainly happen in Ireland again. And and it will be worth watching. You know, it was a bit of a switch. I couldn't watch it live because um, I had to go to sleep to prepare to cover the the Lomachenko-Haney fight. But, um, but yeah, no, it's a, it a great fight. I... Uh, I confess I didn't watch anything else on the card. That's me finished talking about that fight, by the way. <laughs> you know, there's, I could dig deeper, but, you know, time time is calling. We're 45 minutes in. Um, I didn't watch too, my, um, anything really on the rest of it. I did see Gary Cully lost, which was a, a bit of a shock. Um, it wasn't a great night for the Dubliners, um, but um, came in Agiaco, and again, if I pronounce that wrong, I apologise. But um, he, uh, he beat... Um, Dennis, which I expected, and um, yeah, uh, Dennis Hogan, who was also, I believe, a local. Um, yeah, well, he's from Kill, Kildare. Um, yeah, so um, he lost to uh, James Metcalf, who is um, yeah, English. 
<laughs> it wasn't a great night for the uh, for the local boys. But um, Agalco won. Um, beat Grant Dennis, which I was expecting. I was expecting a knockout, but um, you know what can you do? Um, yeah. Um, next week. Next week is busy, busy, busy. There are three British main events. All three should be standing on the road. I mean, okay, Lawrence Cody is always a, uh, um, a risky thing because he's so good at making his fights um, so fucking boring. But, um, okay, Mauricio Larovis, that's sort of the big one. Um, you know, we saw the first one, the uh, Mauricio Lara um, with a comeback knockout um, with Wood. Uh, you know, he had been dominating until then and then he got knocked the fuck out. Um, that, yeah, that's going to be really fun. And, well, Jack Cattrall is fighting Darrell Foley. He, I'm sure he's overjoyed with, with that. <laughs> yeah, lovely. Um, Terry Harper was meant to fight Cecilia Breakers this weekend on the Kelly Taylor fight. She has been turned around very quickly against Ivana Habazian. Um, Breakers got sick, so that fell apart. Um, yeah, um, um, yeah, Ivana Habazian, I don't know nothing about. If I, you know, if I look at, I'll, I'll see what I do in the previews. Um, yeah, it's, it looks like a decent card. Um, Kind of, um, you know, Laura's Wood is clearly the main event. Um, the other big event is uh, Luis Alberto Lopez versus Mark Conlon um, in Belfast. Um, Lopez beat um, in December, and he's making full use of the of um, of the status that gives him, and he's taking on Michael Conlon. Conlon, it's one of those. Conlon is the better boxer, but he has enough flaws that. Um, that Lopez may well be able to take advantage, and you know Lopez is an awkward motherfucker. Um, he may well be able to, um, to 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 do something there. Um, so that is an interesting fight. Um, I'm not. I will be covering the Lara versus Wood fight, so I'm not sure if I'm going to catch this one live, but um, definitely worth keeping an eye on. And the other one again, like I say, is Lawrence Coley. He's fighting Chris Bill and Smith, who has built himself a following, and now has a chance at a world title. Um, this is in Bournemouth, so you can tell it's Bill Smith's hometown, even though Coley's a champion. Um, it really depends who gets away, because Chris Bill and Smith is a very exciting fighter. He's kind of you know meat and potatoes, straight lined a bit, but. Um, very good at um, pushing forward, um, high gas tank, all of that, all the good stuff. Um, loves getting in his opponent's face and, uh, and unloading. Um, Akoli, he can be slick and skilled, um, but most of the time he just drowns his opponents in horrible clinch matches. Um, he's good. He's a good fighter. Like this is a thing with Lawrence Akoli. He's good. I fully expect him to win this one. To be honest, um, but he is. Uh, he wins any way he can. Um, and so therefore this is going to be the least, um, least hyped fight of the weekend, but, um, worth keeping an eye on because both are capable of knockouts and sometimes a Cody can be exciting. Um, and he's always good. Like, this is a, it's just so, I've seen people compare him to, to Wilder because they're both like lanky guys who are always looking for a big right hand. But, um, but Wilder doesn't care if he's losing a fight. He doesn't care if he's losing a round. He doesn't give a shit. Um, he's all just looking for that for that big knockout. Cody cares very much, and that's why his parts are so boring. He won't give up a second or a round if he can avoid it. And if he can't do that by boxing clean behind his jab, moving all of that, if he can't do that, then he'll just get into the clinch and rough you up. Um, and it can be mind-blowingly boring to watch. But, um, but it's effective. Um, he just doesn't like losing seconds at all. No, he doesn't like losing a single part of a single round. 
he's good. He's just fucking awkward and sometimes horrible to watch and whatever. Um, anyway, that one has uh, Michael Lawal versus Isaac Chamberlain, also in the Cruiser division. Um, yeah, that looks like a decent Sam Eglinton versus Joe Pickford. That's a that should be. I mean, Joe Pickford is um, insane, and you know, I'm saying that against Sam Eglinton's opponent. Um, Sam Eglinton should probably have retired a, a long time ago, but um, not a long time ago, but you know. He should have retired sometime back. He is, um, I'm going to check how old he is now. Um, but however old he is, he's actually older than that, if you, if you know what I'm saying, as a fighter. Um, yeah, he's only 29, but he's been kind of uh, a veteran for like five years now. Uh, you know, he's been in war after war after war. Um, so, um, so it'll be, you know, I kind of want to see him retire, but uh, this fight will be entertaining. Joe Pickford is a, is a madman. Um, basically um, yeah lots of boxing this weekend I will be covering some of it I should be doing a preview um, I will try um, and yeah I will see you next time follow me at Crafty Boxing on Twitter follow the fight site at the fight site um, check my stuff on Bloody Elbow um, you know the new Bloody Elbow has got going check my stuff there I uh, have been doing a fair bit of writing there and uh, you know, check our fight site patron. Um, all of our stuff, you know, good stuff there. And didn't get join our Discord chat with us there. Um, yeah. Until next time, have a good one. <laughs>